Greetings, everyone. This is Josh, the narrator of Mysteries of the Mornland. Thank you for joining us for our one-month anniversary. 600 downloads. 600 downloads! At the time of recording, you have listened to and or downloaded episodes of Mysteries of the Mornland 600 times. It's been a crazy month, y'all. Even though we're still getting used to this campaign and everyone on the planet is dealing with what's going on in the world, you all still chose to spend some of your time with us, and for that, I can't thank you enough. It's a labor of love to do this show, and we're going to need audience support to keep it running. If you like what we do here, please consider checking out our Patreon to become one of our co-conspirators, and maybe even joining us on our Discord server? If a one-time contribution is more your speed, that's an option too. And even if you can't make a contribution at this time, you can still support us by liking and subscribing to the show wherever you get your podcast. And of course, leaving a review. You can find more information on all of this in our episode description. And with that, listeners, let there be no more ado. Welcome to Mysteries of the Mornland. Mysteries of the Mornland is a level-up, advanced 5th edition, actual play horror podcast set in the world of Eberron. As a horror podcast, listener discretion is advised. And you can find a full list of content advisories in our episode description. Again, listener, welcome. We are excited to have you. The impossible has happened. What everyone understood to be part of the new normal, the billowing wall of dead gray mist surrounding the Mornland, which everyone took for granted that it just stayed there and it didn't move. Well, it's moved. It was this obstacle which the conductor of the lightning rail said, pull the brakes. After evacuating everyone from the train, the fearless party has taken the stability beacon and hopped on horseback on a rescue mission to the town of Vatheron, which hopefully nothing terrible has happened to, considering that it has been enveloped by this horrible fog. Van and Rook upon the black mare Molly, Sentek and Sheth upon the brown and white paint named Smith, You've been galloping for at least a minute, and the mist has yet to abate. The setting sun 
casts a strange, dulled red haze over you, and there's darkness ahead. I need everyone to make perception checks. Using wisdom, unless you tell me otherwise. That's a six from Van. That'll be an eight for me. Seventeen. That's a twenty. It's Van and Rook on the first horse. Shethrazar and Sentek are able to keep a relatively decent eye on the horse ahead of them. However, the question remains, with how long this fog is persisting, are you even going in a straight line? Everyone make wisdom or intelligence survival checks. Killing it as usual. Four. Five. It's a six again from Van. <laughs> Come on, Sentek. 23. Hey, there it is. <laughs> oh, thank goodness for this nerd. <laughs> I'm just perched on top of Shep. <laughs> Pay attention to everything. <laughs> Periscope up. Sentech, you realize that you risk veering a little bit too far south. How do you get everyone back on track? Like, how dense is the mist? I know you said we could see the horse in front of us, but is it like, can we just barely see them or is it? At a safe galloping distance from one another? You can barely see them. Oof. This is really, really thick fog. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Are they less than 30 feet from us? Let's put it at about 30. I asked Chef if he can speed up a little bit. I say we're veering slightly. If you pick up a little bit, I'll inform our comrades. Mm-hmm. And Chef will yip, yip. <laughs> yip, yip. <laughs> and then I want to use Minor Illusion to do an arrow with which way they need to adjust and also have like words that just guide them back on course. It's like the signs on the side of the road. It'll just be like, we're veering right. Adjust left. Only slightly. Okay, you're good. <laughs> As each one goes by. And his minor illusion is definitely like a little projector that sends it out. <laughs> and then when they're good, I'll adjust the minor illusion to be a big old thumbs up. Beautiful. All right. After about five more minutes at high speed, you find yourselves surprisingly farther along the route that you would have expected. Sentek, you've managed to keep your eye on the guiding stones of the lightning rail to keep your pace. Of course, now that you find yourselves out of the fog, you could see that these stones have all ruptured as though something high pressure has blasted its way out of the top. Oh. The skies above you are overcast, and with the setting sun cast long, red, and black, sanguineous shadows across the sky, and you hear a roaring and thunderous noise from the far west. As soon as you exit the cloud line, you feel the wind having picked up, chilling you to the bone. That said, you're farther along this course than you would have guessed. The Bray River is within your sight and no less than a mile away. Along this trail are a couple of townhouses, which surely must be the outskirts of Vatherond. How do the townhouses look? They're dark. There's not lights or smoke coming out of them from what you can tell. But otherwise they look intact? They look intact. How far away is this? Like, it's fairly close, I assume. 
y'all are actually pulling up on the townhouses now, y'all could be up to 120 feet away if you so chose. You could very well pass them by on your expeditiousness into the town, or you could investigate any of these houses. They are each associated with a little tree, a small yard, and a fair bit of farmland. Say we investigate. Could give us some insight into what's deeper within. Agreed. I'd agree. Early warning is always better. This could be a rescue, or it could be a fight. Everybody be ready. Rook is going to take a moment, and they are going to cast Mage Armor on themselves. Very good. Cassandra, please roll a 20-sided die. Ah, sweet. 14. All right. How do you manifest your Mage Armor? They reach into their pocket and press their finger against a small watch there. And as they do, a faint blue sheen seems to bubble over their body and then fade from sight, as if absorbed into their clothes. Very good. Our heroes ride to the first house. It is a modest cottage, only one story high. It may be as large as three rooms. There's an empty stable beside it, which looks like it could have housed two horses, perhaps even some pigs. None of these animals are in sight. The tree just outside the front door has no leaves, and yet hundreds of rotten apples lay on the ground surrounding it. Y'all are now about 50 feet from the house. It's as though everything living was uprooted from this place. Hmm. How far away is that tree? It's a stone's throw, about 15 feet from you now. You could touch one of its branches if you rode your horse up. Sheth's gonna say to Sentek, since we're on the same horse, thinking of veering a little closer to that tree. See if we can figure out how long those apples have been like that. Sounds good. So, get within, yeah, not right over them, but within a few feet. So we can peer at the fruit and see if we can figure out, are they just rotten? Can we get any sense of how long it's been? Give me a nature check, please. Wisdom. Uh, ten. Mine would be an eight. They are market-quality apples. They're not mere crab apples. With rotting like this, they'd have to have been two weeks spoiled. Hmm. You imagine that there are maggots and mites and worms crawling in them, but... You're not nearly close enough to see such a thing, only the acidic stench of rotten fruit. Mm. Doesn't seem like the state of these apples quite matches how long this place has been out of touch with the outside world, does it? Mm, That's a good point. But the rot doesn't seem unnatural, at least from rotten apples I've seen. Hmm. Hmm. Sheth agrees. (laughs) And I'm fine to just keep going forward. Yes. You're now at the stone walkway leading from the trade road to the front door of the cottage. From here, it's quite clear from the two front-facing windows, there is not a single light on inside. The shutters of the house are flown open, but the glass windows are closed. I have a feeling we're not going to find anything good in here. No. 
but I'd rather find the bad in smaller numbers than we'll find it in the large city. Fair enough. Agreed. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'm going to hop off the horse. Rook will dismount as well. Same. Yep. Uh, and if Van's heading forward, Sheth will happily walk alongside Van. As they're walking, Rook is going to address Sentek. Hey, uh, a thought occurred while we were traveling in that fog. Hmm? What do you think of the guiding light? For the crew, I mean. We do have that lantern, after all. Yes, uh, no, the, the lantern I'm very interested in. I'm eager to see how well it actually works once put into activation. Yes, am I. So we'll see if this actually proves as resilient here in the Mornlands as they were hoping. Well, I did feel something strange when I called upon my magics, but we will see if it causes any trouble. Hmm. I'll pay attention next time I use mine. Sheth and Van are walking ahead along the stone path to the wooden door of the cottage. What do you two do? Sheth is going to, just for a couple of steps along the way, close his eyes and reach out to reassert his connection with the Silver Flame and with his ancestors, preparing for any sort of trouble, and then continue with uh, Van as we approach the door. Van will go ahead and ready his halberd. At this point, he's just letting instinct basically take over. He's very tensed up, but also relaxed as well. Like He's just ready for pretty much anything that's going to jump out right now, even though he partially suspects that given the rotten apples, it's likely just going to be corpses at best in there, but we'll, we shall see. After a moment of mindfulness, chef religious mindfulness, and Van martial mindfulness, you are both within hand's reach of the doorknob. This flaking blue paint is peeling off of it, and the doorknob itself seems a little loose from age. Well, would you like to do the honors, or would you rather me kick the door in? <laughs> Does the door open out or in? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> it opens in. Sheth will say, on the off chance that there might be somebody in there, do we want to make a dramatic entrance? Because if we do, we don't have to get up close. I can do that from afar. I can also unlock the door. Do we, do we want to approach gently, or do we want to assume we can barge in? I don't, I'm not fond of the idea of scaring anything we might find in there. Well, yes, but from my experience, a, a show of force is usually the, the best way to get people to, uh, to listen to you and uh, help you out. But that's Who are to, you? Uh, <laughs> well, Who we, are you? <laughs> Uh, Someone in there? We mean no harm. Say as I back yeah, away. We're here to help if we can. Yeah, I will also take a step back. <laughs> <laughs> and there only seems to be silence now. This voice which called out to y'all. You don't hear it. Can we get a sense of if this was a genuine voice? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd like to do an insight to see if I can read anything about this voice. Yeah. You got it. Ugh, seven. 
if it was some sort of illusion magic, there'd be no way for you to tell. Hmm. Sheth will look over his shoulder back at the other two and say, Dramatic entrance or soft entrance? Something knows we're there. Let's go soft for now. It's possible they're trying to lure us into a trap, but we don't want to spook them. Sheth will step forward, double-checking that Van is at the ready, lift up the Morning Star, turn the knob, and if it will, push the door inward. The door creaks slowly open, and where you've placed your hand, the blue paint chips away, flaking onto the dusty floor. You hear a whimpering sound. Sound of someone crying. It's a little odd because it's loud. It's very present at the same time. Oddly distant as well. It's altogether quite hard to describe where it seems to be coming from. Is it dark in there? Can we see? It is nigh upon dusk outside, and there isn't a single light inside. You can tell that there is a fireplace. There's even a lamp for a magical light, but it's not active. Does anyone have a torch? I have a uh, hooded lantern. So I am going to take a lantern from my pack and ignite it, holding it out into the dark. I'll also bring mine out. As these lights streak out into the room, you hear a panicked voice. What is that? What is what is that? What is that? We're here to help if we can. They're gone. They're gone. Well, we've heard three messages multiple times. You hear a shaking coming from the corner. Behind a chair, a shadow seems to be increasing in darkness. What happens when we shine a light on it? Van would like to ready in action, just attacking, just in case. As your lights shine onto the corner, there is a shadowy figure of a child standing in the chair. His hands are covering his face. He says, what is that? What is that? What is that? What is that? I will lower the hood on my lantern. I'll do the same. The figure which was in the chair becomes inchoate once again. With the lanterns covered as they are, the darkness in the corner grows ever deeper. They're gone. They're all gone. Do you have a name, young one? They're gone. Who is they? They're all gone! A skeletal hand reaches out and tries to grab Rook by the face. Boo. Roll initiative. Okay. <laughs> All right. Rook, the bony claw, reaches out and tries to get into your face. How is 14 versus your armor class? Just barely less. I'm at a 15. With a blue shimmer from your magical spell from earlier, you've managed to deflect this attack. Reeling back, you see this monstrous form that looks something like a child, perhaps, 
although draped in gray cloth, looking ever less like a child by the moment, becoming ever more skeletal and inchoate. So how far away is it from where I am? Everyone's within about 15 feet of it. It's a small room. So I'm going to charge towards it and use a combat maneuver, one of the things I've been excited about trying here. And I'm going to use Lean Into It. So that says, until your next turn, whenever you hit a creature, it must succeed a strength saving throw or be knocked prone. So, yeah, I'll swing with my halberd at it. Oh, that's a miss. Eight. (laughs) You swing with the halberd, putting your weight into it, and the halberd seems to phase right through the entity. I'm just going to try to shoot it. And so I'll pull out my light crossbow, which doesn't look like a crossbow because it's spring-powered, so it has much more look of a sawed-off shotgun without the bow in the front. Hmm. Interesting. This is one of your infusions, right? Yeah. And so I'm going to use it to cast Firebolt at this small child. Very good. Make your attack roll. That's a 19. Roll for your damage. That's 8 fiery damage. As fire comes out the tip of your custom firearm, it strikes this entity which hisses, but the fire is quickly muffled out. And then I can use my bonus action to command my homunculus to take an action. And so his turn follows right after mine, so I can have him make his force strike. So he'll open his mouth and a little cannon pops out of his throat and shoots a little bolt of force energy. Boop! Three damage. Force damage. The small bead of force strikes the entity in the shoulder, and it hisses just like before. It is no longer putting on the airs of being a child. Good. (laughs) First thing Rook does is lift the hood on my lantern again, so that we're not fighting this thing in dim light. You can see it's wispy form quite clearly in front of you. It's almost as though it has become less real by virtue of you putting the light on it. Still, the dark wisps of tattered cloth and skeleton are still quite clear before your eyes. Okay. And then Rook raises their fingers in a V as lightning arcs between them and tosses it toward the creature. What spell is this? This is Ray of Frost, altered by my manifestation. Wow. That's dope. Yeah, so it is effectively Ray of Frost doing electric damage. Make your attack roll, please. All that bluster for a three. (laughs) (laughs) No good. The entity has dodged out of the way of your lightning. They will back up and put some distance between themselves and the entity. Put the jocks between them in trouble. Uh... So does it look like this creature has been taking damage from these hits? Like, is it showing the wear and tear from being attacked? Make an intelligence check. Uh, Everyone can do this. Nine. Six. Five. Come on, gnome. (laughs) I'm pretty sure that's a... Fourteen? Well, smart as no. Smart as all of us combined. <laughs> That's what they call me. 
If anything, Sheth, these attacks seem to be making it more angry. Sheth is going to place a hand over the amulet around his neck, upon which there is a little symbol of the silver flame, which matches the symbol of the silver flame on the front of his armor, and cast sacred flame at this creature to see if holy power can smite it. The flame that erupts around this creature is in the same shape and pattern as the image of the silver flame as it appears on Sheth's items. That is a dexterity saving throw. Nope. Roll your damage. Seven radiant damage. The darkness surrounding this skeletal figment seems to only be growing deeper and more chaotic. If it were covered in bedsheets, it is as though those bedsheets is being tossed in the wind at ever-increasingly high speeds. Well, at the end of Sheth's turn, Sheth will simply say, This does not seem to be acting like a normal foe. In the depths of the darkness, behind the hissing, you still hear the sound of a child crying. Everyone, please make a wisdom saving throw. 23. 16. 15 for Van. 10. Of all the people that this affects most deeply, it's Sentek. An indescribable trepidation, the loneliness that this entity must feel, fills your heart. Van, this creature is crying out and it reaches in your direction. You take nine necrotic damage, and the malign touch of this entity seems to be pulling you deeper and deeper into the realm of memory, more specifically, the realm of regrets. Your wisdom score has been reduced by one point. Oh. Okay. Slipping into regret, Van starts to dwell on memories of Mace, regretting all the things that he wished he had said to them before tragedy struck on the battlefield. He swings as the regret turns into anger. I'd spend an exertion point to add brute strength to the damage roll. You put your weight, and more importantly, the fury in your heart behind the strike of your halberd. Seven damage total. Against any of the foes you would have faced on the battlefield during the war, this would have been enough to cleave some of them right in half. When you strike this entity, you felt it strike, but the attack didn't find purchase. Your halberd passes through this creature and slams into the wooden floor, which cracks audibly under the might of your strike. Um... Could I, perchance, get better insight on it with an Arcana check to try to figure out what we might be dealing with and what the better options would be? Go for it. That's a 20. You've heard stories of ghosts and stuff, obviously. 
There are certain things that are quite good for ghosts of all sorts, including the holy symbol of a person of profound faith. And in the Mornland, there are a particular kind of ghosts. It is as though the sorrows of the land itself give an undead breath to these entities who live out the regrets of the Chiron dead. Hmm. Mechanically speaking, it is an undead entity. And being incorporeally undead, it is resistant to several conventional weapon attacks. It would have to be a magical weapon in order to deal the kind of damage that most types of magic could do to it. But these entities, it is said, are resistant even against fire, lightning, thunder, and acid. Also immune to necrotic cold and poison. Oof. I relate all this to the group, rattling it off as quickly as I can. If you've got some interesting attacks, now's the time to use them. Then I'm going to use my crossbow, which is infused, so it's magic crossbow. Even as you aim, your mind is filled with the images of war. Oh man, he's messing with me. I'm having flashbacks. Eight damage. The shot from your customized crossbow finds purchase in the entity's form somehow. It takes the strike in the chest, and you can see the darkness around it ripple like a person pulling sheets through the water. That was a good hit. I'll go ahead and let Fetch take a shot. And he does... Three force damage. This strike also causes the entity to recoil. It hisses. The darkness around it hangs heavily as though we're dragging around wet sheets. Uh, well, I was told if we had anything unusual to try it, so I guess I will try something a little bit different. This time, Rook closes a fist near their mouth, whispers into it, and then throws it as if tossing the words themselves. There is a light boom of sonic energy as they launch a blast of thunder toward it. That is literally still Ray of Frost. <laughs> just getting artful with it. And that's replaced with thunder damage? That's awesome. That's really cool. That is a natural 20. Yay! <laughs> hey, even more awesome. Alright, you'll deal double damage. Go for it. And that is an 8 on the die. Jesus. That is 16 damage. Remember when you told me last session that I could start cheating? Apparently I took that to heart. <laughs> <laughs> The entity gyrates and spasms as your spell lands, and it begins backing into the corner. It keeps yelling out, Everyone's gone! Where are they? They're all gone! Could I, similarly to what Sentek wanted to give it an arcane once over, can I use religion to get a sense if I have any idea of what impact this thing is having the world around it. Make your religion check. Do it with wisdom. Yeah. 17. Just like Sintek shouted out to you earlier, this seems to be the mournful and restless undead of this land. Your memory tells you little more than that. So I'm going to go ahead and cast Guiding Bolt. The bolt that shoots forward from Chef very briefly in the air takes the form of a dragon launching towards the foe. 12 radiant damage. 
the shimmering bolt of draconic light goes straight to the heart of the entity. There isn't any time to see what the darkness is doing in response to this, because it quickly pops violently, sending a shockwave through the dusty room. The entity of condensed darkness, you can't see it anymore. But as the dust settles, you hear whispering, I don't understand why this is happening. The house is perfectly still, with the exception of a teacup that has fallen off the table and rolls until it finds its resting spot at the center of a circle that it rode. And the sun outside has set. What do you do? Is there anything left of the creature? Going to the spot where it once stood, the ground beneath it has been absolutely cleared of dust. Make a perception check. 18. You don't see anything like if it dropped any of its dark, wispy cloths, but you do notice a piece of paper underneath a couch nearby. Sheth will walk over, and if it's accessible, pick it up. Yeah, there's nothing stopping it, except for a skeletal hand underneath the couch that seems to be grasping the piece of paper. An unmoving skeletal hand? Taking a moment to breathe while looking at it, it doesn't seem to move. Sheth will say, got something over here, and kneel down to look under the couch. There's a humanoid skeleton underneath the couch. It's small-sized. Sheth will actually try to move the couch. Lifting it up on one of its sides, you see the skeleton is perhaps the size of a halfling, or maybe a human child. It's curled up in a fetal position, as though hiding. Its hand is clutched against a piece of paper. Sheth will kneel down next to it and just take a moment and grasp that holy symbol. Sentek would have come over when he said he found something and would have joined him in that moment, giving condolences to the small person. They lay a hand on the ground next to it, quietly, not really to anyone, just say, condolences, little one. You can rest now. And then after taking a second, Sheth will try to take the paper out of the child's hand. Or the skeleton's hand. It is a crumpled up brown scrap. Judging by the print on one side, seems to have been pulled out of someone's accounting book. On the front side is scribbled hurriedly and misspelt. Take cover. Keep hidden until daddy and I come home. Don't answer the door. Sad. (laughs) Van, during all this, is is still kind of lost in his own thoughts right now. And so he's compulsively reaching into his pouch and just kind of rubbing his thumb on the small fragment of Mace's headplate that he still carries with him as a way of trying to refocus himself back to before seeing this monstrosity. Brooke is basically just on lookout. 
they're not entirely certain that this is over. Just as you're looking around, perhaps peering out the window, you hear one of the horses cry out, shriek, in fear. Rook will go back to the door and look out to where the horse is. The horse Smith is pulling at her reins where she's been tied up on the fence post. She's pulling back with her entire weight to get loose. Meanwhile, Molly is looking wide-eyed and trying to keep her distance. Not bucking against the restraint of her reins, but rather keeping her distance from Smith despite them. Chef, uh, something's going on with your horse. And Rook is going to take a couple steps out the door toward uh, Smith. Chef will follow. You reach the horses. Chef Rizar, please make an animal handling check. All right, Smith. Everything's gonna... Ooh, seven. <laughs> You're having a hard time getting Smith back under control. She keeps pulling at the reins, and actually half the rein just snapped under the force of her pulling her head back so quickly. She's about to run away, make a dexterity saving throw. Ooh. Mm. Uh, I try to stop her if I can. That is a 20. You catch the one lace of the rain, which remains, and that's enough to keep her from running off. She's trained to be responsive to the rains after all. But she's not calm. She's still pulling against you. Sentek and Van, y'all arrive on the cement about this time. Rook is going to approach and essentially speak in calming tones, just uh, try to relax the horse themselves, not seeing what else to do. Make an animal handling charisma check. Ten. You start shing and cooing to Smith. She stops trying to rear up. She's still prancing around, still looking wide-eyed left and right. But if she was merely spooked, she seems to be getting herself grounded again. Uh, do we see anything nearby? Perception checks, everyone. 11, 12, 20, natural one. The last glimmer of twilight is disappearing behind the horizon, and in the dark overcast sky, the roar of strong winds fills the space. If there was something cogent that spooked Smith, you can't put your finger on it. If she seems to be calming down, Syntec would probably continue to investigate the inside of the house a little bit, because he doesn't know animals, except for the ones he's built. Uh, he, he has no skill there. If other people are staying outside, Sheth would go in to make sure that our uh, little gnome is not going into this house by himself. Yeah, make an intelligence investigation check there, Syntec. 19. I invest a lot of Gation into this. This is a small three-bedroom house. There is a modest living room. That's where y'all were just a moment ago. There's a children's bedroom, a room that might be for grandma or grandpa, the parents' bedroom. There doesn't seem to be anything extraordinary about any of these rooms. There are toys still on the ground in the children's room. There are clothes hung up nicely in the closet and on the coat rack in the master bedroom. Although, in the third bedroom, on the desk, there's a book open. It seems to be a novel of some sort, 
and it's held open to a page. Underlined on the left is a sentence. It says, And nothing grew anymore for at least 25 years. What uh, what did you say the book was? Uh, like if I, if I look at the front of the book. It's a novel that takes place during the early years of the last war. The particular scene that you're on seems to be describing the aftermath of one nation or another's campaign. Several of the pages are actually missing a lot of ink. Like as in it's faded or degraded? That's right. Hmm. When we were outside, it seemed like the apples might have only been sitting there rotting for a couple weeks to not just be completely gone. Does this seem like something that would take longer than that? Sure. But, you know. It could have just been an old book they had already or something. Based on the year of publication, it's at least 10 years old. All right. All right. All right. All right. I'll report back to everyone. I'll leave the book there. But I'll report back to everyone that the, this doesn't seem to be anything else suspicious going on in the house. But they were definitely uh, preparing or, or noticing the changes, it seems, when the mist came through. Well, if nothing else for this, we know what to expect going forward. Uh, yes, unfortunately. I feel like my skills are somewhat wasted here. I am certain they will not be. You kept it in the corner very well. Well, I was I was literally created to be a meat shield, so might as well continue uh, the tradition. A shield against meat. Yes, I, I will pat Van on the shoulder and be like, you shielded our meat very well. <laughs> Concluding their business here, our heroes mount their horses once again and hit the trade road once more. There are small patches of woodland and vast farmlands all around. The proximity of the houses becomes increasingly more and more dense. In a mile away, you can see the stone wall surrounding the village of Vatherond. Just beyond Vatherond, you see the shimmering silhouette of the River Bray, which marks the national boundary between Brayland and Thrain, at least since the end of the war. It would all be quite beautiful if it weren't for... The scent that has just reached your noses. A smell that most of you haven't had since the war. Seeming to waft your way from your destination which lay over the next hill. The all too familiar stench of carrion, charnel pits, and mass graves. again for listening to this week's episode of Mysteries of the Mornland. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. 
If you want the show to survive its horror trek into the blasted lands which transcend realities, we could really use you as an ally. Check out our Patreon site, which has a variety of backer levels and rewards, and patronage of any size helps us keep this podcast up and running. If a one-time contribution is better for you, we can make that work. And as always, please like, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you get your podcast. This show features royalty-free music by Alexander Narakata, which you can find on YouTube or at serpentsoundstudios.com. Our theme music you're listening to is Collision by Derringen. Our battle themes included No Such Thing as the Promised Land by Sapphire and SGX and Wanderer on the Offensive Live Edit by Serax. We found all three of these tracks on ocremix.org. You can find the information on all our music in the episode description. Thanks again for listening, everyone. Hope to see you again next time. Syntec and Sheth are on the horse and it's Syntec up front and Sheth just looming <laughs> behind him. TLDR, our, uh, our crew is split up into Team Nerd and Team Jock. Uh, <laughs> we have like the theater nerd, the science nerd, and then the jocks. Yeah. <laughs> is it ridiculous to try to intimidate a horse? <laughs> <laughs> You have to intimidate horses very carefully.